0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. About a month ago during Lent, we heard in John chapter 6 the account of the feeding of the 5,000, and John reported in that reading that the feast of Passover was at hand. As I'm sure you are aware, that feast was celebrated. That first month of the Jewish calendar in the springtime, and it reminded the Israelites that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and he was pointing them ahead to their Messiah, to Christ, the Passover Lamb, who would die to take away the sin of the world so that God would pass over our sin and give us the gift of life and eternal salvation. The feeding of the 5,000 took place a year before Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples in the upper room on Monday, Thursday. In the following chapter, John chapter 7, John then reports that the Feast of Tabernacles is at hand. This feast is probably a little less known to Christians today but it was actually the most popular among the pilgrimage feasts in those days. This feast took place in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, so six months after the Passover. It took place in the fall. The people would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would live in temporary dwellings, We could call them tents or booths or tabernacles. They would stay there for a week as part of the Harvest Festival. But it also reminded them that God was with his people when they sojourned in the wilderness for 40 years. That from Mount Sinai, their stay at Mount Sinai onward, God was demonstrating his presence among his people because at Mount Sinai, God delivered to Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle that they would build and God was present through that tabernacle. He tabernacled with them. And so God was there not only to protect his people and deliver them to the promised land, but he was also there to save them. Our Lord Jesus Christ is present among his people and was so even in the wilderness as they wandered through the wilderness and settled the promised land. When Jesus declares in our gospel today, I am the good shepherd, it is still the feast of tabernacles. He does so during that feast. The very shepherd who was present among his people throughout their time in the wilderness is now saying that he is present in the flesh among them. His presence was not through pillars of fire or clouds or light or smoke. But now Jesus is saying that he is present, God in human flesh, dwelling and tabernacling among them. As St. John reports concerning Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then on Palm Sunday, We heard in our epistle lesson these words from Philippians 2. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And on Palm Sunday, I invited you to bow when you hear Jesus' name at certain points in the liturgy. And today, I also welcome you to bow at another time, and that is during a portion of the Nicene Creed. In the Nicene Creed, we believe, teach, and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. If you notice, I bow during those words of the creed. We may do so because these words confess a truth that we, being mortal humans, cannot fully comprehend. Words that remain a mystery. The eternal God by whom all things were made now becomes joined to his creation by becoming a man. Yet Jesus is not created, nor does he lose his status when he becomes man of being God. He becomes fully human, yet remains fully God, and he does not inherit the sin of Adam, nor does the sinless son of God commit personal sin, even though he takes on human flesh. What mysteries we hear in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in humble submission to these realities, we may bow. bow. Now, as with many matters in the liturgy, there is no law on this matter. To bow or to not bow in the creed. And so you may simply receive this as an invitation to do so. I bring this up because an important reality of Christ's church, his ministry, is that it is incarnational. That God does not remain aloof or afar off. Instead, Jesus is, as Isaiah had prophesied, to be called our Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus becomes a man. He, as we heard in John 1, tabernacles among us. And even though Jesus ascends into heaven, he does not leave his people alone. Not only is he present everywhere, but Jesus institutes the ministry so that sheep will hear the voice of God. God has not chosen to deal with you apart from these fleshly realities. And so he establishes churches for you to gather into God's house. He also establishes the ministry that you may hear the voice of Jesus and be shepherded him. He touches your skin with the waters of holy baptism. He places into your mouths the very his very body, and true blood for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Christ Jesus enters your presence and blesses you with his grace. On today's bulletin cover, you see a typical example of Jesus as our good shepherd. Holding a lamb in his arms, surrounded by sheep, The scene is very tranquil. It is a blessing to be cared ever so tenderly by Christ, our Good Shepherd. His love and warm compassion come to mind when thinking on Jesus as our Good Shepherd. It also reminds us that Jesus deals with us through his Incarnation. And human flesh and blood. This imagery of Jesus the Good Shepherd has been in use by the Christian church from its beginning. The early church father Chrysostom said, when Jesus is caring for us, he calls himself a shepherd. Yet when we consider the gospel lesson that we heard in John chapter 10, that is not the picture that we find. In fact, originally, I had chosen a woodcut as our bulletin cover. And in that woodcut, it depicted a wolf attacking Jesus. Yet, the sheep appear to be calm and safe. Jesus himself is not harmed as he defends his flock from the evil one. A picture like that better matches today's gospel. In that image, Jesus is preaching the word, which is what he commands pastors to do. Both images portray truths, the one that is in our bulletin cover today and the one that I just described concerning Christ as our good shepherd. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his wisdom, has chosen to shepherd his flock today through that incarnational reality, by raising up pastors to preach, teach, and administer the sacraments. Pastors are to visit the sick and shut in and to pray for God's people. That is the pastor's task. It is how he shepherds God's people in the stead of Christ. Remember again, this work of Christ is incarnational. And that is how Jesus has chosen to do it, by calling pastors. Since God raises up men to be pastors and sends them, this means that when you listen to the voice of your pastor, you are listening to Jesus. To be sure, the pastor is not Jesus, but the pastor is to proclaim that saving word of Christ the doctrine of Christ. And this then allows you to gather, to assemble, to congregate, to be a flock of Christ's sheep, to gather and listen to Jesus, your good shepherd, to hear with your own ears the saving word of Christ. The church is not meant to be impersonal, That is, a person's worship of Christ is not to be in front of computer screens, through the internet, or alone in the wilderness. And for those who cannot make it to God's house, the church comes to them. Pastors, part of their task is to make those home visits and to bring the body and blood of Christ, that word of Christ, to those who cannot be present. What God established is good when he breathed on his disciples and instituted the pastoral ministry on Easter Sunday. Because it is good, Satan, though, is seeking to ruin or at least thwart the work of the holy ministry. Satan seeks to tempt both the under-shepherds, that is, the pastors whom Christ has sent, and the sheep, those who are to listen to the voice of their good shepherd. Using the words of Jesus, Satan tempts pastors to flee when the wolf comes. Pastors should never think, I do not get paid enough for dealing with all these problems or to be called on 24-7. Instead, pastors are to have the same heart as Christ, to be there for his people whom Christ has redeemed. Pastors must not flee when they are met with trial or persecution. As one of my seminary professors put it, the Christian pastor is, as Jesus himself, to be committed to the sheep of the Christian flock even to the point, if necessary, of laying down his life. Satan tempts pastors to not preach the whole counsel of God, thereby becoming hirelings. They may give in to the demands of those who are giving him his paycheck. He may give in to the societal trends of the day, being unwilling to preach salvation by faith in Christ alone, or failing to uphold the various social issues that are affecting our society, such as he may fail to uphold marriage as a lifelong union between one man and one woman. Related to this is the amount of time pastors spend in the pulpit. It is true attention spans are not what they once were. Our soundbite culture has a hard time focusing at length. We want to be entertained instead of putting effort into listening to the word of God. We don't have to put effort into listening to just about everything else in life. So, why should we, we think, put effort into listening to a preached sermon? As a result, the length of sermons is steadily decreasing. A few years ago, I was talking to a pastor who had recently retired, and he was speaking very highly of the young pastor that was now pastoring this seasoned and retired pastor. And then this retired pastor asked me, why do so many young pastors preach such short sermons? I suggested that since the seminary chapel keeps sermons short each day to fit in that narrow time frame that they have for daily chapel, maybe the young minds are formed to also preach such short sermons. But on reflecting on that question further, I now wonder if pastors often preach short sermons because that's what the people are demanding. They don't want to have to listen very long. They don't want to sit in the church more than an hour. They can't enjoy the moment. They want to get on with their lives, for they do not see the true treasure of being lambs in the presence of their good shepherd. Satan is tempting God's people in this way. While some pastors preach up to as a third, just a third as long as I typically do, my sermons are only about a third as long as what they were under the days of Luther or CFW Walther. I'm sure they would be critical of me for not taking advantage of the time and preaching the saving word of God at greater length. Another temptation of the sheep is that they do not always trust their pastor. They don't either think of going to him when they are struggling in their marriages, facing temptation finding it difficult to agree on some portions of God's word when they're faced with affliction or sickness or about to have surgery or recover from an accident or a whole host of other matters. When we go to our doctor, we answer all questions that they may give. We spill everything, no matter how personal or embarrassing it might be. We do so knowing that we are speaking to one who will hold it in confidence, and we also do so because we want our doctor to treat our problems so that we can be well. What we do not realize is that when we do not utilize our pastor in the same way, Satan is certainly rejoicing, for he has created a barrier between Christ's lambs and the very under-shepherd that Christ Jesus himself has sent. Our Lord Christ has chosen to shepherd you through pastors. And so, you are encouraged to call upon your pastor to do just that. Like doctors, pastors are sinners, and they can make mistakes and so we forgive them, for that is what the church is all about anyway. After all, Jesus did say that he, as the good shepherd, is going to lay down his life for the sheep. He is speaking of something that will happen to him in just six months from that Feast of Tabernacles that will occur on the next Passover when Jesus is led like a lamb to the slaughter where he renders himself as the sacrificial payment for our many sins. It should be a surprise that the shepherd would die for the sheep, yet that is precisely what Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, does. In love he pays for your sins so that you Will be reconciled to God your heavenly Father and added as a lamb to the flock of Christ. Pastors are to faithfully preach Christ crucified so that your eyes are always fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We rise to sing as our offertory hymn 692.